Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 4 of A New Voice of Freedom, written by Ronald Keith Messer. This podcast is part of a series we call Stories of the New Testament, an appendage to a series of books written under the banner of In Defense of Christianity. Podcast 127 examines Matthew chapter 15, part 1, False Traditions. 400 years separated Malachi, the last prophet of the Old Testament, from John the Baptist, the first prophet of the New Testament. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, is the transition between the Old and the New Testaments. During the apostasy, new traditions crept in, obscuring the true teachings of Christ revealed to his prophets in the Old Testament. Everything before the apostasy pointed to the coming of Jesus Christ to redeem the world. The purpose of the law of Moses was to prepare the children of Israel for the coming of Christ. All the words of the Old Testament prophets pointed to Christ. Yet many of those teachings were lost, and rather than prophets interpreting the scriptures, they had scribes and Pharisees, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. That is what Peter meant when he said, 2 Peter 1, 19-21 We have also a more sure word of prophecy, Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn, and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time, but the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Therefore, Rather than using the teachings of the prophets of the Old Testament to receive Christ at his coming, they used their own traditions to condemn him and ultimately to crucify him. There is a parallel. Just as the Old Testament prophets prophesied of Christ and tried to prepare the chosen people of God for his coming, the New Testament apostles and prophets have done the same thing in preparing the chosen for the second coming of Christ. As Christians, we must be on our guard and not let traditions that have crept in obscure us from the true word of God. The question is, will we be prepared for his second coming, or will we reject his word because of false traditions? Christ warned us. Matthew 24, 2-14 And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many, and ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places, and all these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, 
and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. I suppose that one thing that all Christians agree on is that these are the last days, and preparing for his second coming, whenever it is, is the most important thing we can do. And it begins by reading the scriptures for ourselves and not dependent upon man or traditions for interpretation. Everyone has access to the Spirit of Christ and the Holy Ghost, and everyone has the right to personal inspiration and revelation in understanding the Word of God. Nobody can be saved for us. No man can stand in our stead at the judgment bar. Only Christ can save us, and only we have the power to accept or reject that salvation. Nobody else can do that for us. The straight and narrow path, though everyone has access at the time of their own choosing, accommodates only one person at a time. John the Revelator tells us, Revelation 22.2 In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruits every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The straight and narrow path leads to that tree of life spoken of by John. But we must choose if we want to eat the fruit of the tree of life and experience its healing powers. And to do that, we must be written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation twenty-one twenty-seven. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. At the time of Christ, the Jews were so bound by hundreds of years of traditions that they didn't recognize the living Christ, even while standing in his presence. They were caught up in trivial things and overlooked the doctrines of salvation. They put their trust in traditions rather than truth. They put their faith in performance rather than seeking the word of God. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were in Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Is there one among us who cannot remember our mother saying, Wash your hands before you eat? I also remember being taught that with the fanaticism of the scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day by my own second-grade teacher. She was especially obsessed with us washing her hands after using the bathroom. Naturally, I didn't follow the advice every time, but to her glory, I did carry the guilt of it if I didn't. However, the scribes and Pharisees carried it to the absurd, for their living souls depended upon false traditions. Christ was standing right in front of them. But because they were blinded by tradition, they couldn't see him. Christ, however, who was always in charge of the conversation, fired back with his own question. But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandments of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. 
But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Christ's question revealed their hypocrisy. Mark records Christ's conversation with the scribes and Pharisees in this way. Mark seven eleven. But ye say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, It is Corban, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. If something was dedicated to God, they didn't have to share it with anyone else. In this particular case, it freed them from supporting their parents and allowed them to keep the money by claiming it was dedicated to God. Their conscience was clear because a vow to God superseded any obligation to their parents, even to that of disobeying the fifth commandment, honor thy father and thy mother. As Christ said, they made the fifth commandment of God of none effect. Tradition supported the rationalization and justified breaking the Ten Commandments. That example is a fitting symbol of just where the Jews were at the time of Christ. They had found ways around the strict laws of Moses. Christ used the scriptures of the Old Testament to condemn them. Ye hypocrites, well did Esaias prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Teaching for doctrines the commandments of men means that rather than following the strict word of God, they followed the traditions that had crept in during the apostasy that allowed them to think they were obeying God, but were in reality following their true desires. Let me use two broad generalizations, not including those who are pathological liars or psychotic, as well as excluding those who, as Paul said, have their conscience seared with a hot iron, meaning they are past feeling. I believe that most people have a form of conscience, and in their own way, they must deal with it. Therefore, I divide the majority of people into two schools of thought, those who believe in God and those who do not believe in God. Those who believe in God tend to believe in absolute law. Those who do not believe in God tend to develop a system of ethics that comply with their view of what makes a good life. Both groups have a strong conscience. We associate conscience with religion. However, Satan uses conscience as much as God does. With the exceptions defined above, everyone has a conscience. Conscience aligns itself with our perceptions of right and wrong, good and evil, moral and immoral. To improve conscience, search for truth. That is the only safety. The atheists or agnostics, which are growing larger and larger, form a system of ethics compatible with their personal philosophy. Both groups are equally intolerant of the other. Atheists aggressively reject the Bible, claiming it to be oppressive. They largely disregard an afterlife, a divine being, or an absolute standard of judgment. However, being good people, they believe a system of ethics is necessary for the good life. The ethics change with the times and adjust to popular opinions. Once upon a time, they were the minority. However, that is rapidly changing. Since I am speaking specifically of America, which was once founded almost exclusively upon Christ, though Christianity still dominates, atheism is overtaking Christianity. 
and sliding ethics are now governing in our nation, not because they are in the majority, but because they are in the majority in power and have taken over our federal government, our universities, our schools, our local and state governments, our social media, and our press. The best-selling book, The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins, has become the new Bible justifying atheism. A children's version is now available. Atheism is growing rapidly in America and in other parts of the Christian world. Perhaps most people in the world believe in a God. However, since America is still dominated by Christianity, I shall focus primarily on the Christian God. Using very broad strokes, Christians can be divided into three groups. The first group are those Christians who strongly reject atheism and their sliding ethics and who adhere strictly to the absolute standards defined in the Holy Bible with focus on Christ and the Ten Commandments. Today they are being called terrorists by the left because they reject the woke movement. The second group, though they identify as Christians, adhere to a philosophy called moral relativism. They do not reject God, but they question the absolute nature of law. To satisfy conscience, they do not deny the Ten Commandments, but they find ways around the Ten Commandments by claiming to adhere to a higher law. For example, they replace absolute morals with human rights, LGBTQ plus rights, women's rights, children's rights, and so forth. They believe in freedom from all restraint and generally follow the social trends with noble-sounding arguments and often religious fanaticism. Those in Category 2 still see virtue and vice, therefore they search for higher laws as did the scribes and Pharisees in Christ's day. For example, they justify partial birth abortion by claiming women's rights. In other words, The right of the woman over her body exceeds the right of the living infants coming through the birth canal. As the Jews bypass the fourth commandment, honor thy father and thy mother, by claiming Corban, in our day some bypass the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill, by claiming human rights. Some even advocate abortion in a few minutes after the child is born. There is no limit to what we can convince ourselves of where a cause is concerned where the ends justify the means. In Shakespeare's Merchant of Venice, Bassanio laments, In law, what plea so tainted and corrupt, but, being seasoned with a gracious voice, obscures the show of evil. In religion, what damned error but some sober brow will bless it and approve it with a text, hiding the grossness with fair ornament. There is no vice so simple, but assumes some mark of virtue on its outward part. At this point, Category 2 is the driving force in America, because regardless of false claims to the contrary, America is still largely Christian. Though sadly churches are emptying, still conscience raises its ugly head and must be assuaged. The third group of Christians are those who don't deny their religion, but ignore its teachings and follow the natural man. I call it naturalism. They don't go to church. They don't read the Bible. The Sabbath is a day of recreation. They may have strong opinions about religion, but disregard the restrictions. That too is growing rapidly in America. Sliding ethics, moral relativism, and naturalism are the three greatest threats to our democratic republic today. Our republic cannot survive where the majority do not adhere to the absolute laws of God and strive, however imperfectly, to abide by those laws. In a continuum, on the far right stands the democratic republic. On the far left stands totalitarianism, dictatorship, or absolutism.
which is ruled by force. As we move from our republic to the left, there stands variations of totalitarianism. Oligarchy, monarchy, theocracy expressed by forms of socialism, Marxism, and communism. If we lose our democratic republic, we will slide down the slippery slope toward totalitarianism. And this is where America stands today, beginning with the deep state, the collusion of powerful people in high places secretly carrying out their agenda. If you combine the sliding ethics of atheists, the moral relativism of a growing number of Christians, and the naturalism of hedonism, you have a majority. You see why America is in trouble? That is how the Ten Commandments were removed from our nation without significant opposition. That is how the woke agenda is sweeping through America. That is how religion is being dismantled. That is how our Constitution and Bill of Rights are being destroyed. That is how socialism is replacing our democratic republic. All forms of totalitarianism are evil and are contrary to free will, freedom, agency, and liberty. The Ten Commandments are the law of liberty. When they fall, liberty falls. Only by reversing the trends of sliding ethics, moral relativism, and naturalism, and the disregarding of absolute law, can our American Republic survive. It was de Tocqueville who said, America is great because she is good. If America ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. Christ explains the parable. And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth the man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. The Pharisees understood exactly what Christ meant, for they were justifiably condemned. He spoke their language and revealed their hypocrisy. It clearly ran deeper than the singular practice of washing your hands. It undermined their entire religion based on false traditions. They were the learned. They were the teachers. They rejected the fountain of truth for false traditions, a fault that we must guard against even today. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? Paul saw the same thing happening in our day. Second Timothy 4, 2-4 Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reproof, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. Christ's answer was thrice condemning. But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Parables are often riddles or puzzles that must be solved. The apostles didn't understand the riddle. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Declare unto us this parable. Christ's answer to Peter is surprising. And Jesus said, Are ye also yet without understanding? Christ is preparing his apostles to take his place, for in a short time he will be crucified. He knows that, they don't. In fact, in the famous 24th chapter of Matthew, he lays out the entire history of the church until his second coming. 
And John, who is also there, will be chosen to write the history of the world in the most enigmatic book of the Holy Bible, the book of Revelation. Christ is simply teaching the apostles that they need to be more diligent in understanding the teachings of the Master. But we know from the sacred writings of the New Testament that the apostles stepped up to the mark. Paul, the most prolific writer, is not with them yet. Christ explains the parable. Do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly, and is cast out into the draught? But those things which proceed out of the mouth cometh forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. Christ spent his ministry breaking down the false traditions that had crept in during the previous 400 years of apostasy. At this point, the Jews depend upon the letter of the law of Moses to save them, but they have tinkered with the law like a mechanic till it has no effect. This subject is thoroughly covered in Matthew chapter 23, which we shall discuss in detail in future podcasts. Chapter 23 is a scathing chapter that condemns the false traditions of the Jews, which are a perversion of the law of Moses. Since we shall cover it in detail later, I shall present only a brief segment here. See Matthew 23. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against man, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing, but whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the others undone, ye blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. It reminds one of the Lamentations of Jeremiah, where Christ pronounces woe upon the scribes and Pharisees of events which are yet to come. A woe in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary is described as sorrow, grief, anguish, regret, woe, and distress of mind. Still quoting the dictionary, sorrow implies a sense of loss or a sense of guilt and remorse. Grief implies poignant sorrow for an immediate cause. Anguish suggests torturing grief or dread. Woe is deep or inconsolable grief or misery. And regret implies pain caused by deep disappointment fruitless longing, or unavailing remorse. Christ is prophesying that this will befall the Jews if they don't repent and turn to him. Please join us next week as we conclude Matthew chapter 15.
Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.